Well, good morning. Welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and we are so glad that you're here with us today. Today, we are starting a brand new Christmas series entitled, He Will Be Called. And uh, as we begin the Christmas series, we are looking at these four very important names or titles uh, that you saw on the screens, Wonderful Counselor, uh, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, uh, Everlasting Father. And uh, if you're wondering like where those names come from, it's often around Christmas time that we see those names. And maybe you've wondered where they come from or what are the meaning of those names. And during this series, those four names are going to drive us through this series to help us recognize not just the birth of any child, but the birth of one to bring hope for everyone. Now, I'm a little curious uh, as we start today, uh, by a raise of hands, how many of you are expecting a child or know somebody who's expecting a child? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that exciting and everything? What's not so exciting is naming your child. And some of you know what I mean. I've got four kids and uh, naming children was a very difficult process. I mean, nobody tells you uh, that there's all these unwritten rules for naming children until you actually have a child. Uh, For example, um, you know, if you or your spouse ever dated somebody with that name, it doesn't make the list, okay? (laughs) It is off the list. Or if you or your spouse uh, know somebody who's slightly odd or slightly weird, like that comes off the list right away, you know? Or uh, there's the family rule. If somebody currently in the family is alive and they have that name, most likely you don't use that name unless it's like a couple generations uh, ago. Or if you think that a person in the family is going to use that name and they might get upset if you use that name, it comes off the list. Now, once you get past that, there's some other rules that you should know about as well. The meaning of names, that's important as well. Or uh, the first, middle, and last initials. It would not be good if your child was RIP. Yeah, not good at all. Okay. And then there's the combination of names, the first and the last. And so I did a little research, and here's some actual names that families regretted, okay? And so there's the Mann family, and they named their daughter Anita, and she regretted her name because she was known as Anita Mann. Yeah, you can see, Anita Mann. You need a what? Um, I need a man. Um, Right now. No, but... um, And then there was a daughter named Eileen. And in this day and age, that's not good because her last name was Wright, Eileen Wright. What? You can't work for us. You're a part of the other party, you know? You're X off of resume just for your name, Eileen Wright. And then there was a woman who was named Helen, and she married a guy whose last name was Back, Helen Back. And after 10 years of marriage, he said, it was true. I felt like I had been to hell and back and then some. So that's the only time you'll hear me say hell in church. Uh, but anyways, it is very important what you name your child. And today we are going to check out the importance of names and we're going to check out the meaning of names because God took great care to name his son way in advance. Maybe you didn't know that. Way in advance so that we would know exactly who he is when he showed up. And in fact, uh, these four names appear uh, first appear by a man who uh, spoke them and wrote them down. Uh, his name was Isaiah. He was a prophet of God or a spokesperson on the behalf of God. And he wrote them down 700 years prior to Jesus being born in 722 B.C., 
Now, you need to know, at that time, the nation of Israel was divided. And so there was a division. There were two nations. There was the northern part of Israel, which was called Israel, and there was the southern part of Israel called Judah. And the kingdom that was like in power at the time was Assyria. And because of a deal made with the king in the south in Judah, they came in and they conquered the north which was not good. It was already devastated. It was already falling apart. And so these people around the Sea of Galilee, I mean, they were in distress already and they conquered them. And Assyria betrayed this king and came on down and surrounded uh, the kingdom of Judah. So King Ahaz of Judah would not turn to God. He would not listen to God. He would not do what God wanted him to do. He would not behave as a king should. And so he wouldn't care for his people. He didn't defend his people. He was only thinking about himself. And so at that point, the people, they were hopeless. They didn't know what to do. And the people in the north, they were already hopeless. Their land had been conquered. Their land had been destroyed. Uh, they had no one to turn to. They, they were in darkness. They had no one who would listen to them. And so they had experienced that. And their fear spread to the people of Judah because the people of Judah thought they were next that the Assyrians were coming after them because King Ahaz would not behave as a king should. And so in the midst of this darkness, uh, the message comes from God uh, through Isaiah, and he gives this message of hope from God. And so uh, the message that he gives is that, uh, that one day God himself would come for everyone and that he would be king and that everyone could find hope in him, and that he would never let his people down. And so Isaiah declares this, and it's written in uh, his letter, or the account that he wrote, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Let's read it. It says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will, go, will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the area around the Sea of Galilee, will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness, those around Galilee, will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice because you, as people rejoice as the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. And here's our key verse uh, for this series. Verse six, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called, let's say these four names together, out loud, all together, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. And he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now, to identify with the times and with the people. I mean, they were in darkness. They didn't have any hope. So this is what I wanna do. Um, I'm gonna ask for the lights to go down to kind of give us a moment to kind of understand what the people of Israel and Judah were experiencing. So could I have the lights come down for a moment? In darkness, don't we all need hope? Don't we all need someone that we can turn to? 
Don't we all need someone that will listen to us and understand exactly who we are and what we're going through? Don't we need someone in those moments of darkness to point us in the right direction? That's what the people of Israel were experiencing. They had no hope. And all of a sudden, they had this message that was sent to them, speaking of hope. Now, for some of us, we can identify. We're in that season. We're in the midst of our own darkness. We need some help. And so that's why this series is so important. That's why we're going to look at these names that God took great care to think through and to send to us in advance about his son. So today we are going to check out the first name, that Jesus is the wonderful counselor because God sent his son so that he would show us that we always have someone that we can turn to that he will always listen to us, and that he will always point us in the right direction. And so that's where we're heading today. So if you would, uh, let's have the lights come up and go ahead and turn with me uh, to Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 in your Bible uh, or your smartphone device. And if you're new, uh, if you don't have a Bible, always feel free to get one of the Bibles from the back as our gift to you. Uh, But we'll also be putting the verses up on the screen as well. And so go ahead and turn to Matthew, which is in the New Testament section of the Bible, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, and I'll give you a moment to get there. Now, before we begin, let me tell you about the man who wrote this down that we're about to read um, from. And so he was an eyewitness to Jesus's life. His name was Matthew, and Matthew was a tax collector. And back then, uh, if you were a Jewish tax collector, you were considered scum, okay? Um, Don't we think all tax collectors are kind of like scum? Sorry if you're a tax collector. No, I'm just kidding. Not you. You're a good one. But anyways, um, you know... Back then, the reason that they were considered kind of scum and everything is because they worked for the Roman government. And it reminded the Jewish people that they were yet under control by another nation. And to make matters worse, uh, some of their own people did the job for the Romans because the Romans knew it would be easier coming from a Jew versus somebody that they put in control and everything. And so Jewish tax collectors, uh, the way they made a living was they had to collect a certain amount for Rome. And then to make their money, they actually raised taxes and took a cut. It was an acceptable practice. And you didn't know how much you were actually needing to pay because it was according to this tax collector guy. And so again, the Jewish people hated uh, tax collectors. They considered them even worse than notorious sinners uh, in the day from the religious leaders. So Matthew had to know the political situation of the day in order to survive, okay? So here's a guy for most of his life had to learn kind of be a weasel. He had to learn uh, both parties and how to say what to each of those parties, how to play them against each other in order just to survive, okay? But also to make a living. And to make matters worse, um, Matthew finds himself working in the northern part of what used to be Israel near the Sea of Galilee, okay? And so uh, that area, man, it had seen fighting for 700 years since the day of Isaiah. 
And so the reason this area was fought over so much was because there was a road that ran north through south and it made it real easy for armies to travel, for trade to happen and everything. So everybody was always fighting for this road. And so this was kind of like the armpit of the nation. And it's described that the only good thing that kind of came around that area in Galilee was that the land was fertile and that there were tons of fish in the Sea of Galilee. Um, the people were there were almost like no longer Jewish. Most of them were Gentiles. That's people who are not Jew. There were a lot of uh, Jews as well. Um, and so, uh, but most of them had intermarried with other uh, people groups. And so at that point, um, there's a governor named Josephus and he writes about the area and he noted this one thing and I quote, he noted this about the people because he documented, the, worked with the people, there were like 204 villages, 3 million people in this area, but this is what he noted in history about the people. He said they were notoriously quick in temper and quick to quarrel and rebel because basically they had been through so much. They had no one to trust. And so let's just say it was not a fun place to work and darkness prevailed over any hope until one day, until someone came into the darkness. So let's see how Matthew records and began uh, what began to happen in this area. Matthew chapter four, verse 12. When Jesus heard that John, his cousin, had been arrested, he left Judea, returned to Galilee, and he first went to Nazareth, his hometown, and then he left there and he moved to Capernaum, which is near the Sea of Galilee. And he made that his home base, okay? And it was beside the Sea of Galilee. It was in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And, um, and we wonder why, why did would Jesus make this his home base? Out of all the areas, I mean, the guy could have made like Jerusalem, the capital city, his home base, but he does it on purpose. And Matthew, watching all these things unfold, starts to connect all the dots and we'll see how he starts to connect the dots. Verse 14, this fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and of Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. Now, back in Isaiah's day, they didn't live there. There weren't as many. But now we've got three million people in this area and a lot of Gentiles. Verse 16, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. And from then on, Jesus began to preach. And so here we are at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry and it takes off. And so not only did Jesus begin to preach and teach about God, he started to perform all these amazing miracles. He started to cure people with diseases, uh, with sicknesses, and it was just amazing. It didn't matter who you were, he reached out to everyone. And so news started to spread very quickly. Darkness started to be overcome. Hope started to rise. People started to gather in large crowds and go out and see for themselves because nothing had ever happened like this in over 700 years. And they were wondering who has come. And so one day, Jesus takes a little break and I'm sure people were following him, but he does something on purpose. One day, Jesus came to personally see Matthew, picking up in Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. 
Now, Matthew, he had heard what was going on. He knew who Jesus was. I mean, this was interesting. I mean, why would Jesus invite a tax collector, someone who was considered an enemy of the Jewish people because he could never be right with his people. He could never be, in their eyes, right with God because of who he had become and who he had associated himself with. But Jesus said to Matthew, you're invited to follow. Let's continue. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners, as labeled by the religious leaders of the day. Verse 11, but when the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, saw this, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this harsh word, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Meaning this, two things. I want you to show mercy. He says, pretty much a person who really follows God, loves people and cares for them. So you Pharisees, you need to love people and care for them. And then he says, not offer sacrifices. Pretty much he's telling these religious leaders, you are just going through the motions. And if you don't love people and care for people, then I would question your association really with God. Man, he had some tough words for them. And then he says, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so pretty much those people who don't think that they can have a relationship with God, who know, in their opinion, they can't. And so why did people who were nothing like Jesus love Jesus so much? It's because as they spent time with Jesus, they saw that he loved them, that he was interested in them, and that he defended them. And so Jesus reached out to Matthew, and no one had been interested in Matthew. But Jesus, the wonderful counselor, was. Now, let me break down that title, Wonderful Counselor, for us, okay? In the Hebrew, when Isaiah wrote that passage, um, here's what wonderful means, okay? The word wonderful means beyond understanding. It means it's too wonderful for words to explain. Basically, there are not enough words to describe how wonderful He is, how awesome he is. If you read all the accounts of Jesus, yes, you will get a great picture of how wonderful he is, but still, it does not hit everything and how much and how awesome that he is. And then the word for counselor means what we're used to, to advise or to consult or to guide people. And so if we could kind of tweak Isaiah's passage a little bit to give us a little better understanding of wonderful counselor, it would read something like this. One day a child is born to us and his name will be wonderful counselor, the one who knows you, who cares for you, who knows exactly what you're going through and who knows exactly what you need. Because Matthew had a front row seat to seeing Jesus. He saw him in action. And for some of us, you know, we're going through some battles. I mean, there's some stuff that maybe other people don't know that's going on inwardly at this moment. Some of us have some hurts, maybe some hangups that we're going through. Maybe you're at such a point right now that you're going through something 
and you feel like everything is going to cave in on you in your finances or maybe in your job or in your relationships. Others of us, maybe you're just facing a season of depression, some anxiety or some worry, and you just don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do tomorrow, and you don't know what it is that you need to do. And here's the cool thing with Jesus. Jesus says that he is interested in us, that he is the wonderful counselor, and that he wants to speak and be there for everyone. And so how do we find hope in the midst of darkness? How do we find hope when it doesn't seem like there's any hope? And I want to get real practical. I want to give you some nuts and bolts today as we go through this message on how you can find hope when it seems like there is just darkness. And so the first thing that I want to give to you is simply we need to turn to him and get honest with the counselor. See, recently... I was in kind of a season or a little bit of discouragement, and I started talking to Jesus and asking him for help, and he made it real clear. He made it real clear, Tim, you need to talk to those who are close to you. And so as I began to talk to those who were close to me, um, I had some words spoken to me from these people that I talked to. And as I heard their words, I knew they were from God because they were the exact words that I needed to hear. And they knew some of the story, but they didn't know everything. They hadn't walked with me through all of my discouragement, but yet their words came into my life at an appropriate time to hear exactly what I needed to hear. So for some of you, you need to do the exact same thing. In your darkness, you need to turn to Jesus. You need to get brutally honest with him and speak to him because he knows exactly what you need to hear and what you need in your life. But you have to begin to talk to him so you can see how he wants to come in and meet you where you're at. Let's continue to see how this unfolds uh, and how we can continue to see just how wonderful uh, Jesus is. And being with Matthew, let's get back to what Matthew identified. Now, being an accountant, this guy probably took a lot of diligent notes following Jesus. I mean, what do accountants do? They keep track of things. I mean, they write things down. I mean, you just tell them they spout out all the tax laws. I mean, they know their stuff, okay? And so on one occasion, here's a, a large crowd of Gentiles, um, people who were not Jewish, who were following Jesus, and listening to him, and he began to heal the people in the crowd, and they were in awe. And we know that they were Gentiles because Matthew writes, they praised the God of Israel. Not their God, the God of Israel. Okay? So then these Gentiles stayed around to listen to Jesus teach about God. And so in Matthew 15, verse 32, let's go over to there. Then Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they will faint along the way. They will get weak. The disciples replied, well, where would we get enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd? Now, at first glance, it doesn't seem like there's any issues. But what we don't realize is 
there's been another large crowd that followed Jesus that ran out of food and they quickly forgot what Jesus did. And so he gently kind of nudges his disciples. He says in verse 34, Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? And it's like, ah, oh, bread and fish, bread and fish. We got it. All right, Jesus, sorry about that. We forgot. All right, so they replied, seven loaves and a few small fish. He didn't ask for fish. He just said, how much bread we got? But they were, they were on it finally. So now the disciples are ready to listen to Jesus. They were ready to listen to Jesus. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, thanked God for them and broke them into pieces. And he gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. They all ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Thank you, Mr. Matthew, Mr. Headcount, Mr. Accountant for that information. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how often we forget what God has done in our past. You know, for all of us, regardless of whether you believe in God or not, at some point in the journey, don't we all come to the point where we really feel like we know who God is, we trust God. I mean, even if you don't believe in him, there's a moment of like, ah, there could be a God. And something happens down the road that keeps us from turning to him, that keeps us from listening to him. You know, being a dad of four young children, I've got one who's nine, who's seven, one who's almost five, a two and a half year old, you know, uh, I have to work hard to stay alert and be watchful, okay? And uh, when we have a bunch of people over with all their kids and stuff, I recognize their voice when they say data. I've trained myself to lock in and recognize my children's voice. And we've got to do the same thing with God. We've got to recognize his voice. Life is going to get very tough. And in those moments, we need to approach him, turn to him and recognize his voice. And that brings us to how do you find hope in the midst of your darkness? Well, here's number two. You listen to the counselor's voice. You listen to the counselor's voice. We have to train ourselves to recognize his voice because he wants to direct us and guide us. Now, you may ask the question, well, how do I recognize God's voice? I mean, how do you do that? Well, there's several different ways. Um, The way that you can recognize his voice is begin to read all these accounts that have been compiled in the Bible that are from God. I mean, God has written down tons of promises to us, and we need to know who he is and what he has said. That's why he's done that so well through all these years, for thousands of years. When you come on Sunday morning and you say, that message spoke to me, how did that person know exactly what to say? That's not us. Trent and I aren't smart enough, okay? All right? That's God. That's God. For some of you, you hang out with a friend who is a Christ follower, and every time you're around that person, it's like, that person says exactly what I needed to hear. Well, who is that? They're not with you every moment. For some of us, you might turn on the radio and you're like, I'm gonna turn on the Christian radio station. I don't know why I'm doing this. And you hear that song that you needed to hear. 
The words in it speak volumes to you. Or for others of us, maybe you're going through a situation and you finally pray to God and you turn to him in your pivotal circumstance and you talk to him and he comes through for you. And it's amazing. That's how you recognize his voice. So we've got to train ourselves in recognizing his voice. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. We can know his voice. I know them and they follow me. And so how do we find hope in the wonderful counselor? Let's do a little review. Say these things with me. Number one, together, turn to him and get honest with the counselor. Number two, say it together. Listen to the counselor's voice. And now we're going to go towards the third step in finding hope. So let's turn to Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, after sending them home, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. I know it sounds crazy, but Matthew was there. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. And then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. And here's what Jesus did. He said, yes, come. And Peter, no matter how crazy it sounds, did it. And so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? I'm always here for you. So the third step that we need to take is we must do what the counselor tells us to do. Ooh, that's hard. If you've ever been in counseling, it's like, ah, I want to tell you my story, but I don't want to do anything, right? You know? When Jesus speaks, we must do what he wants us to do, even though it may sound a little crazy, okay? There will be times, not many of them, but there will be times when Jesus wants us to do something and it makes no human sense, Okay? But Jesus, the wonderful counselor, will always, will always point us in the right direction. For instance, when I was about to finish my master's degree to be a pastor, um, I went to a church to interview with that church. And although I didn't get the job, I felt like God made it very clear that I want you to be a pastor of a local church one day. And so I went back to the university that I was a part of, and they had offered me a job to be the campus pastor. And, um, but I felt like God said, nope, be a part of the local church. And so I turned it down. I mean, it didn't make any sense. They were like, what? You're turning this down? I was like, yeah, I'm turning this down. And so for the next five years, I spent my life in the business world. It didn't make any sense to me. I have a degree in teaching, and I have a master's degree in being a pastor. Like, I'm in the business world, all right? So I'm in the business world for five years, and during that time, I'm part of an amazing church and learning so much, but at the same time, I'm in the business world. It made no sense to me, okay? 
I'm like, God, what are you doing? And then one day he says, it's time. I'm like, great, it's time. I want you to start a church. I'm like, I want to be a part of a church. And he's like, no, I want you to start a church. I'm like, be a part of church. <laughs> Went back and forth. He won, all right? So <clears throat> all of a sudden I said yes. And three months later, my good friend Trent calls me up and says, what is God leading you to do lately? And I said, Trent, this sounds crazy, but I feel like God wants me to start a church. I don't want to do that by myself. I don't know when or where. And he's like, great, we're starting a church this year. Why don't you come down and help us? All right. After nine years, I see exactly what those five years were meant to be. The wonderful counselor used those five years to prepare me for the pastor that I am today. That's what he wants to do. When we turn to him, when we listen to his voice, and when we do what he wants us to do. And sometimes it gets a little crazy. But you will always be watched over. And Matthew found that out. Getting back to Matthew's story, when Matthew started to follow uh, Jesus, it didn't make any sense either. I mean, he started to follow Jesus because Jesus didn't count him out when other people had counted him out. Jesus was personally interested in Matthew, and Jesus changed Matthew's life. I mean, here's a guy who had learned to be an amazing weasel and manipulate his life and those around him in order to survive. He knew how to play both sides. He knew how to play the Jews. He knew how to play the Romans. And eventually, Matthew sees Jesus put to death on the cross, and it devastated him. It devastated him. He left Jesus. He was like, I'm probably going back to my old life. I knew how to operate. I know what they're about to do. They're about to come after me for being associated with Jesus. But then something dramatically happened. Something changed Matthew. And from that day when it happened, he never went back to playing it safe, never went back to being the weasel, never went back to playing both sides. And here's what happened. He saw Jesus die, but he met the resurrected Jesus. He saw a man die. He saw a man come back to life. It was something that happened and it changed his life. And the reason we know it changed his life is Mr. Accountant, who'd written down all these things, decides to write an account of Jesus's life. And he is so bold that he puts his name on it. It's Matthew, the gospel account of Jesus's life. He went public. He wrote it down. He got copies out to everyone because he saw a man die and he saw a man come back to life. And he believed that Jesus is God himself. And it changed him because of all the interactions he saw with him and Jesus. He saw Jesus as the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And he saw Jesus bring hope in the midst of darkness in his life and to everyone who lived throughout the province of Galilee. And he saw that he wants to do that in everyone's life. Why wouldn't he say something? Why wouldn't he go public? Why would he ever go back to his old life? So 
as we enter this time to celebrate the one, the one who came into our world as a babe in the manger. Maybe some of you need to turn to him as the wonderful counselor. Maybe some of you need to listen to him. Maybe some of you need to do what he asks you to do. Because when we turn and listen to Jesus, we will find hope in the wonderful counselor. And there's three ways that we can do that. Let me share those again with you. Step one, turn to him and get honest with the counselor. Listen to the counselor's voice. And we must do what the counselor tells us to do. And when we take these steps, he will bring you out from your darkness. Now, in a moment, we're going to pray and we are going to sing a song. And um, as I said, if you are in that season, if you don't know where to turn or what to do next, there's something that might have a grip on you or in your life, or there is some clarity that you need right now, whatever it is, would you simply turn to Jesus in this moment? And so as we pray, would you turn to him and get brutally honest with where you are at and say that to him in your prayer and to begin to listen to him as we sing this song at the end. And if you want more, um, we have provided on our spiritual growth challenge a 23-day reading plan about Jesus's life that starts today and leads you up to Christmas. And would you simply begin to read more about Jesus's life. And would you say, Jesus, here's where I am at, and I'm going to read more about you, and I want to know you, and would you help me in my situation? And then listen for his voice and do what he says. And he might say, hey, I want you to get real honest with somebody in this season. Maybe you haven't been. Or maybe he might ask you to forgive someone that you haven't forgiven. Or maybe he wants you to sell something to help someone else out, or maybe to get out of debt or reduce the amount of Christmas presents that you uh, have this season because it will put you in a debt. Whatever it is, would you do what he asks you to do? Would we all together turn to Jesus and listen to him? And would we simply do what he asks us to do. For others of you, maybe you're not in a season of darkness. Maybe you're simply like, Tim, I'm on board with God. Well, in this Christmas season, we get so wrapped up in the busyness of it. Would you simply say to God, God, you know what? I could be available to help someone else. I know there are people who are going through some pretty tough things. So God, would you use me? God, would you let me be a counselor to others? Would you use me to help people out of their darkness and into seeing you? And so God, I surrender my plans for your plans. Would you give me the eyes to see those who are in need, even though it may mean making some sacrifices instead of being comfortable? But God, you came out of heaven and you came into our world, and you got uncomfortable to be the light in our world. So I'll do that as well. And so today is an opportunity for all of us 
to turn to Jesus because he knows us. He cares for us. He knows exactly what we're going through. And he wants to show us exactly what to do. That's who he is. He's personal. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So let's go to him and pray. So Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for sending your son. Jesus, we are so glad that you came and that you spoke to us. You showed who you are. And so I know there's some people who are going through some seasons of discouragement, a season of darkness. And Father, I just pray that they will turn to you, that they will listen to your voice, and they will do what you ask them to do so that they can call you wonderful counselor beyond understanding, beyond words to describe just how awesome you are. And Father, may we make ourselves available to others who need us to be a voice and represent you. Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross, coming as a babe in a manger to bring light into darkness, to be our Savior. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.